The word of God from 1 Samuel. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Altogether, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Would you please remain standing as we commend this time to the Lord in prayer? Um, Heavenly Father, we um, quiet ourselves before you. We receive your sacred word. Lord, we just worship you and we want to hear from you. We, we wait in expectation to hear from you. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And may you find in all of us a heart that is fertile and soft. We ask this to the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Denver Prez. If you're new here, I'm really thankful that you are with us this morning. My name's Ronnie. I'm pastor here. And um, it was just last week, actually, that we started a new sermon series on the books of Samuel. And our sermon series is called Searching for the King. And if you'll remember, we talked about how First and Second Samuel comes right after the book of Judges, and in the book of Judges, there's this really ominous refrain uh, that is repeated four times, and it's this, Israel had no king, and everyone did what is right in their own eyes. And so the book of Judges ends, and 1 Samuel begins, and it begins with this really inconspicuous family. It's Elkanah and Hannah. And Hannah could not have kids. But as we learned last week, she learned to let go through prayer. And she learned to fold her dreams into God's purposes. And Hannah had a baby. And that baby was the very last judge of Israel. And his name was Samuel. And Samuel is the kingmaker. He would be the one who crowns the first two kings of Israel, first Saul and then later David. And the life of David takes up most of the narrative of 1 and 2 Samuel, but David's story starts with the faith 
and prayer of Hannah, Samuel's mama. See, Hannah's situation represents the political and spiritual life of Israel. Just like Hannah's womb, Israel was empty. There was no king, and everyone did what is right in their own eyes. But also like Hannah, through humility and yielding to God's purposes, Israel's flourishing could be restored. And Hannah humbly and beautifully yielded, and this precious barren woman became pregnant. And the passage we just heard read for us today picks up when Hannah is weaning the child, and she takes her son to Eli the priest to deliver him. So you'll remember she made a vow. She made a vow that if God granted her a son, she would give him back. And she was making good on that promise. And as she delivers her son, her heart explodes in prayer and praise. Upon receiving the gift of a child, she gives him back and her soul pours forth praise. And so today we are going to consider the content and the context of Hannah's prayer. And listen, Denver Prez, man, we need the song of Hannah to convict us, to help us grow our faith. Her big prayer life is going to help our small prayer life. It's going to help it to grow. You know, there are these two truths that you have heard me say before, but it comes into focus as we study this song. The first one is this. If there is a God, a God who can be known, who who hears you when you pray, who acts uh, on behalf, uh, 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 who acts in your favor then he either means everything to you or he means nothing. Like if there is a God, then an indifferent, presumptuous posture towards him doesn't make any sense. And Hannah shows us what it looks like when God means everything to you. And the second truth is this. If there is this infinite God one who made you and made all things by the word of his power, then you have to allow him to have purposes that are bigger than your logic and your understanding. If there's an infinite God, then there's no way you will be able to understand the million puzzling things that are happening in this world that are happening in your life. That includes the good and the bad. And Hannah shows us that because God is incomprehensibly bigger than us, in his kingdom there will be reversals. Things can change in ways that we don't even understand, and they can change fast. So with those two truths in the background, kind of like a filter, we're going to learn from Hannah's prayer. We're going to learn its content and context. So for you note takers, and I know there's three of you, First, we're going to look at the occasion of of her prayer, and that is a gift and its giver. And then second, we're going to look at the substance of this prayer, which is the reversals of God. So a gift and its giver and the reversals of God. Let's begin with a gift and its giver. Well, when we look at the occasion that produced this song, this prayer of praise, 
What, what precisely was it? It was the pleasure that Hannah experienced upon taking the gift of her son and giving him back to God. See, when, when Hannah looks at, at her baby Samuel, she sees a gift. Not only is Samuel a gift, but his life was gifted for a bigger story, for God's purposes. She's excited, even though, of course, it must have been hard for a mother to let go of her child. Now, a gift is something that we receive, right? Uh, That seems obvious when we're receiving presents, right? But we don't really think about it like that when we think about our intellect or our abilities. I mean, sometimes we call them gifts, but we don't think that they're given, right? It's something that we do. We even call our kids gifts, but we don't really think of them as coming from someone. I mean, mamas did the work, right? They did this, didn't they? In short, we don't often consider the relationship that resulted in the gift. See, when you receive a gift, why was the gift given in the first place? What is the relationship that produced, that established this gift? See, gift giving establishes a relationship. Now think about it like this, because this might be a little bit abstract. Um, Amanda's parents had a very, very dear family friend. And when my, Amanda's my wife, and when she was born, uh, their dear friend made a handmade baby blanket. Like what a labor of love, right? Hours and hours of quilting and knitting. And this gift says something about how this friend feels about baby Amanda. And you can still see this a beautiful baby blanket in almost all of Amanda's baby pictures. And we have it, and my wife was a toe-headed, ugly baby, poor thing. No, I'm kidding. She's not, she's not even here to defend herself. Um, I know she's cute, babe. All right, in case you're going to listen to the recording. Well, that blanket and that family friend is so precious that Amanda preserved the blanket. And when Micah was born, our firstborn, Guess what is in his pictures? That's right. It's a 25-year-old baby blanket. And this is a special blanket precisely because a dear family friend handmade it and gifted it to her. See, the gift establishes, speaks about the relationship, doesn't it? The, 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 the relationship informs the gift itself, right? Not all baby blankets are created equal. There's some you buy at the store, but then there are some that are gifted like this. Well, Hannah feels this with the birth of her son Samuel. When she looks at her baby, she remembers the gift giver, the relationship with the Lord, That's why she begins her song in verse 1. Look there. She says, my heart exalts in the Lord, the gift giver, right? She was barren and she received a gift, exalts in the Lord, my horn, or sometimes translated my strength. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I know that the horn language is kind of weird imagery but um, for modern people, but think of a horn... um, like, like an animal in the wild with its strength and beauty and majesty. This is what Hannah feels like. She feels fierce and beautiful. 
verse 1b, my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. I mean, she even implements this language of salvation. That's how significant this is. See, formerly her head had hung low from the shame of not being able to bear children, but now the gift giver saw her, and he raised her up and changed her fortunes. And Hannah wants us to know that this salvation was not her own doing. Three times in in verse 2, she says so. She says, there is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. So in verse 1, she uses my language, my heart, my strength. But in verse 2, she switches to our God. She's drawing the whole world into orbit with her God, this gift giver. If our gifts were given, how does this help us to not squander them? It helps us to clarify that the gift establishes and it points to a relationship with the gift giver, right? When you get a good thing, you will turn to God and say, thank you. There is none like you. And this keeps us from looking at the gift to find meaning and joy that comes from the gift giver. Praise and prayer keeps our spiritual gratitude squarely on God, resisting the temptation to find spiritual satisfaction in the gift itself. Whether money or a spouse, job or a child, They can't give you what only God provides. So by recognizing the relationship of the gift to the gift giver, it helps us to keep the gift from overshadowing the relationship to or with the gift giver. Not only do we turn turn to the gift giver with thanks, and this is really important, so hear this. Because the gift is given inside of a relationship, Our gifts are regulated in their use, aren't they? I mean, think about it. Imagine, to go back to Amanda, what if she were to take that baby blanket and use it to mop up oil in our garage? I mean, I get you would do that with a store-bought blanket, but with this one? See, if she did that, that says something about Amanda's perception of the relationship. And we get that, right? We get that. Our gifts are supposed to be cherished. It says something about our relationship with the Lord. There's something about that relationship that determines how we should and ought to use the gift. God-given gifts are more than just thoughtless things that have been dished out to you. They were handmade. And acknowledging that he is the gift giver makes you look to him for the deepest satisfaction in your soul, but it also regulates how our gifts should be used. That's how come in verse 3, Hannah says, let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Like, don't for a second think that your gifts came by your own power. I mean, maybe you were the one who crafted a skill. Maybe you were the one that even gave birth to a child. But the gift came to you by his providence. And if you use it only for your own benefit or to benefit yourself, 
then God has the authority and the right to judge how you use these gifts. Because our gifts come inside of a relationship. The only way to rightly cherish the gifts that you've been given is to use it the way that God, the gift giver, intended. That's what we see with Hannah. God wants you to invest your gifts in a certain way. Now, Hannah's case is unique because it was her son. In this case, her own child was adopted into the temple family for priestly duties. So all your newborns, bring them to me. Kidding, we're not going to do that. But whether your, chi- your gift is a child, whether your gift is singleness, whether your gift is your intellect, you must invest your gift within the parameters of the relationship. Because if you don't, it shows how you feel about the gift giver. So if you use your intellect to instruct others, let's say in economic flourishing, or a teacher who is helping students to make sense of the world, or you use your intellect to heal the body, or to teach about the depth and the beauty of God's character, then it shows forth with clarity, uh, you know, your clarity of the gift giver. But if you use your intellect to seemingly construct and possibilitize a world where God cannot exist, then it shows your arrogance, and that is presumptuous of the highest order. God gave you that brain. He chose you, and, and this is what you do with it? Hannah was not giving her child away. She was giving her son back. She is saying, Lord, I don't want to squander the gift. I want to relate to this gift in a way that honors my relationship with you, the gift giver. If there is a God, he either means everything to you or he means nothing. And the explosion of Hannah's prayer, the giving back of her son, shows us how she felt about the Lord and her gift to give her. God means everything to her. And may he mean everything to us. So, so far we looked at the occasion of the prayer, a gift and its giver. Now and finally... We're going to look at the substance of the prayer. And this is our second point, the reversals of God. Uh, When I was young, my family lived in a very small three-bedroom house. Um, There were six of us, two parents, three boys. I'm three of uh, four. We had a younger sister. So my parents put the three boys in the master bedroom. That was the only room that could fit three single beds. My sister, of course, got her own bedroom, and my parents, very humbly, also took a small bedroom. That humble house is where all of my most formative memories occurred, and especially the backyard. You know, when kids are young, they principally play in the backyard so that they can't escape and run into the street or whatever. So until I could ride a bike, that backyard meant everything to me. The miles of imagination, of role-playing, army, cops and robbers, just adventures. (laughs) 
That backyard is like a fixture in my mind. It felt as permanent and as eternal as the Rocky Mountains. I can still remember and see in my mind my backyard almost like it's a picture that I'm looking at. And then I went off to college and my parents moved. <laughs> like, no warning. I just came home on break and they had moved. And uh, I'd never got to say goodbye to my backyard. So on one break, I sheepishly knocked on the door of my old house and asked the owners if I could take a peek at the backyard. And they were very, very kind. And uh, I looked back there, and it had all changed. <laughs> and do you know what I felt? I didn't feel anger at all. No, not anger. I felt, strangely, I felt wonder. The thing that seemed eternally fixed and unchangeable had changed. <laughs> wow. Things can change. This is the kind of wonder that is at the heart of Hannah's prayer. Things that seemed absolutely fixed and unchangeable, they change. See, just verses before Hannah explodes in prayer, she reminds Eli, the priest, who she is. She says, hey, I'm the woman who you thought was drunk, but I wasn't. I prayed for a child and here he is. I was barren, but God gave me a child. Things can change. She remembers that things can change. And while I am sure there was pain in giving her son back to God, her pain was lessened by one thought. She knows that her little boy's life has far-reaching consequences. And so she explodes in prayer and praise. And there's this one main theme that jumps out of this prayer, and it's this. The power of God. The power of God works justice in the world through surprising reversals. Hannah is singing about a world made right by God. Where the poor, where the poor sit with princes, and the needy inherit seats of honor, as it says in verse 8. You know, verse 10, the second part, she says, The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. You see that? Now, this language of judging doesn't mean like sentencing. It means fixing. It means purging in order to heal. Like a doctor rooting out a cancer in order to heal, to fix. And in this world that God is making right, there are reversals. And Hannah sings about it in almost every single verse. Verse 4, the weapons of the mighty are broken, the feeble, the weak are strengthened. Verse 5, those whose stomachs are full must now work, but the hungry will have their fill. Verse 6, the Lord kills and brings to life, brings some low and others are resurrected. Verse 7, the Lord makes the poor rich and the arrogantly rich, they're the ones brought low. Do you see it? The reversals. 
things can change. Hannah is singing this loud for all of us to hear because she is confident that this is the world that you and I are hurtling into headfirst. And Hannah knows this from the inside out. She couldn't have a son, and now she has one. And this is a clue that God is, something, God is up to something bigger than we know in this world. What feels unchangeable to you? Maybe, maybe it's an, an addiction, like this besetting sin that you feel is just impossible to change. Maybe it's a bad reputation that just keeps following you from city to city. Maybe it's a relationship that just feels so harmful. Maybe it's a sadness and loneliness or things that just feel unhealable or unforgivable. Listen, things can change. God touches them, and then we learn that we were gloriously wrong all along. We're wrong about all of it. I don't know if you have ever sung and praised the Lord about being so gloriously wrong. That's Hannah. And you and I live in the world where Hannah's God reigns and is making the world right. Listen, if there is a God, you have to allow him to have purposes that are bigger than you understand. Hannah understood this, and she worshiped him she exploded in praise because God's purposes are multifaceted. And God is doing a million things in our disappointment. And with this same God, things can change. There will be reversals. We're meant to take comfort in that. Let me quickly summarize and conclude so we set out this morning to examine the context and content of Hannah's song. And we learned that there is, really, there is a really important relationship between the gift giver and the gift. And this gift of her son pushes Hannah back into the purposes that the gift giver has. But we also learned that we can't always interpret the events of our life because with God, things change. And there will be reversals. I pray that Hannah's heart, as it's represented in her prayer, shapes our heart and our prayer life. That's what it's supposed to do. There's one last detail I just want to bring to your attention. If you'll look at the very last half of the last verse of verse 10, we read, The Lord will judge the ends of the world, right? He's going to make things right. How? He will, give, he will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. What king 
could Hannah possibly be talking about? There is no king in Israel. Hannah is singing far beyond what she knows in her head. She is singing about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the anointed one. That is what in the Hebrew Messiah means. Mashiach means anointed one. The gift, the giver gave the world a gift, a son. And he's the one who orchestrates these glorious reversals and none bigger than his own. He was made low as he hung on a cross, but he was lifted up as he raised from the dead. The reversal par excellence. Through his resurrection, the world is being judged. That is, the world is being made right. This is your king. Search no longer, Denver Prez. Jesus belongs to you. And you belong to him. Amen. Amen.